Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part one of episode 30 in the book of John, entitled, I Will Not Leave You as Orphans, where we discuss John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today? Well, this is an incredible section of scripture in which Jesus talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. He will come to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we get to see here uh, some of the aspects of the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit, the counselor. Also, we have a sense of the intimacy that we can have with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit dwelling within us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me go ahead and read John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31 to set the stage for our conversation. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Andy, what is the relationship between our love for Christ and our obedience to him? Well, they're absolutely connected. Jesus again and again uh, links them. Uh, John links them in 1 John. This is love for God to obey his commands. Mm. So Jesus says quite plainly, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So our love relationship with Jesus is tied to our obedience to him. We love him as Lord and as King and as God. Um, and that's important for us because the more we meditate on that, the more it will drive out our sinfulness, which is essentially rebellion against his authority. To come into the kingdom of Christ means to submit to his kingly yoke, to take his yoke upon us and learn from him and obey him. And if we do, we'll find joy and pleasure and delight. But he will have no rebels in, in his kingdom, no, no uh, autocratic people who are governing themselves. Uh, we must submit to him and obey his commands. 
How does the Holy Spirit function as a helper for believers as we move into verses 16 and 17 here? Well, the Holy Spirit is indispensable to our our Christianity. Uh, The more I've meditated on the working of the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the one called alongside to help, that's the Greek word, parakaleo is the Greek verb, he is called alongside to help us. Um, Back in in Koine Greek, it also would refer to a counselor like a lawyer, somebody who would help you on a day uh, in the the, uh, court trial. Hmm. But the third person of the Trinity, fundamentally, is the one who... Uh, ministers Christ to us. He brings Jesus to us like Jesus brings the Father to us. Mm. Um, So we would have no sense of Christ. We would have no relationship with Christ, no belief in Christ, if it weren't for the working of the Holy Spirit on us. So the Spirit delivers the gospel to us, delivers Christ to our hearts, but so much more. The Spirit dwells within us and delivers all details and aspects of truth about Christ consistently to us and even more besides. So the third person of the Trinity is the way by which we are alive and walk in Jesus day by day. Andy, in verse 17, why does Jesus call the counselor the spirit of truth? Hmm. Well, it's interesting. The most common name that Christians have, in my experience, uh, for the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just one of the titles that could be given to him. Spirit of Truth would be another, though I've not heard that used, like capital S, capital T, Spirit of Truth. Hmm. But he is the Spirit of Truth because he loves truth and cares about truth every bit as much as Jesus did. He cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for the Spirit to lie. But more than that, I would think it's, uh, it goes to what we'll find out later in John 17 when he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Hmm. The Holy Spirit has been uh, the the agent by which we have the Bible. We have the scripture. The scripture came to us by the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament speaking and writing the truth. So he is the spirit of truth. So fundamentally, I think it's the truth of Christ or of the gospel. God's word to us is delivered to us by the Holy Spirit. So still in verse 17, how is the experience of the world and the Christian different in relation to the Spirit? Yeah, the world cannot accept the Spirit of truth. Uh, it doesn't see him. It doesn't know him. Uh, it rejects the concept. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, as we share the gospel, you talk to scientifically minded materialist type people. And they say, you know, I, they don't have any faith. And they say, I can't see it. Hmm. I can't touch it. I can't, et cetera. Jesus effectively says that. The world can't accept the Spirit because it doesn't see him. Um, but you believe uh, in the Spirit. You believe in the activity of the Spirit. John 3, he said, the wind blows where it wishes. You cannot see it, but you can see what it does. Hmm. You can see it moving the trees or the leaves. And so the Spirit is, the world rejects the Spirit because it can't see him and it doesn't know him. We are different in that we believe the Spirit exists. Though we have not seen him, we would say we love him. We believe in him. We know that he is the third person of the Trinity. So the Spirit, interestingly, has worked in us a doctrine of the Spirit. Hmm. He has been self-referential. He has taught us about him. Wow. Even in this text, he, he, the Holy Spirit, is teaching us who he is. So we should not think that the Spirit's the shy member of the Trinity and doesn't want us to think about him. He's always pointing to Christ. I've heard these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Not shy, but he's always def- deferring from himself. That is not true. Mm-hmm. If that were true, we would know literally nothing about the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit has taught us about himself. Wow. That's an incredible insight. So verse 18 begins with Jesus saying, I will not leave you as orphans. In what way might the disciples have felt orphaned? And how does Jesus promise to deal with this? Well, um, 
and he's going to pray about this in John 17. There's a sense of immense spiritual danger mm. in John 17. Um, he, he prays, Father, protect them. I, I'm, I've been with them, and while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe, but now I'm leaving them. Mm. I'm going to leave them and come to you, and they're going to be in the world. Holy Father, protect them. Well, the number one protection that he gives is the Holy Spirit. And one of the, I should have answered this from your last question, one of the differences between us and the world is that the Spirit actually lives inside us. So the Spirit comes and dwells within us and enables us uh, to be protected and set apart from the world. And so um, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us and he lives with us uh, forever. And so in this way, we are in a very dangerous world. We're in a spiritual war zone. Mm. Uh, we've got the world and the devil, Satan, demons, on the outside and our own flesh on the inside. I've actually likened it before to imagine a set of parents leaving a toddler on the median strip of a superhighway at rush hour. And it's like you would think they're the worst parent in the world. Jesus mm -hmm. was effectively leaving us in a war zone and going back up to heaven. Mm. But he did so with full confidence in the Father's ability to protect his church, his people, through the Holy Spirit. So in verse 19 then, there's this reference to uh, the world no longer seeing him, but the disciples seeing him. When will the disciples see him, but the world no longer see him? Well, the simple answer is they'll see him after his resurrection. He's going to spend time with them, and he did. Forty days he spent with them, and the world would not see them anymore, but they would see him. And so I think that's the easiest answer. Um, we shouldn't think it would be the second coming of Christ because everyone will see him then. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Everybody, even his enemies, and all the earth, the nations of the earth will mourn because of him. They will mm -hmm. see him. So it can't be that. It's not the second coming. So I really think it has to do with his, his uh, time before his ascension to heaven, after his resurrection, before his ascension. So you mentioned earlier that there are just some incredible statements in this passage, uh, theologically, for us to understand. In verse 19, what does Jesus mean, because I live, you also will live? Well, this again, I think, goes right to his resurrection. Because I live eternally, you also will live eternally. You will get to the place that I am in a resurrection mm -hmm. body. You will never die again. Death will no longer have mastery over you. You will be set free forever. So that's not... Uh, resuscitation like Lazarus or like other dead people like Jairus's daughter who he raised up to a mortal life where you would die later. Mm -hmm. He means because I live forever in a resurrection body, you will live forever in a resurrection body. So that's, to me, this is an Easter or resurrection day verse. This is what we get. Yeah. You know, you think about people that are sports fans and what do you get when your team wins the championship? Well, you get happiness. Fine, you get happiness. <laughs> but do you get a cut of the loot? No. no do you get the gold not. medal? No. Do you get the trophy? No. All those go to the people who actually competed. Jesus, on the other hand, competes, fights, wins, and brings the, the plunder to us. Wow. And this is the plunder. It's life. Because I live, you also will live. In this next verse, what does in mean? When Jesus says, I am in my Father, you in me, I in you. I don't know what it means other than it must have something to do with unity, such as the unity of the Trinity. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. Jesus says in John 10, I and the Father are one. We are one with each other. We are one with 
Christ. So I think that that's oneness. It's a sense of unity. Uh, I guess it would also be a sense of complete relational intimacy. And in that relational intimacy, we have a kind of closeness we can barely imagine. So the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father, meaning completely one with each other, and yet still, we would say, separate persons of the Trinity. So we couldn't be closer and still be separate persons, I guess is the way I would understand in. Wow. So in verse 21, what two conditions does Jesus set for loving him and what two outcomes result from meeting those two conditions? John 14, 21 is one of the most important verses for me in my understanding mm. of faith, my understanding of, um, of intimacy with Christ and specifically not wasting our lives on things that don't matter, okay? Fundamentally, we need to know, if we're not gonna waste our lives, we need to know what is God doing in the world? Many uh, read Henry Blackaby's uh, Experiencing God. You know, it's like, see where God is at work and join him. Mm. Well, how can we do that? We don't know how to read current events or how to read providence or how to read, you don't get it that way. You, you get it by reading scripture. But fundamentally, the only way we are going to not waste a single day or an hour is to be certain we are doing what God wants us to do, working where God is at work and where he has invited us to join him in his work. Well, what I get out of John 14, 21 is the intimacy and the self-disclosure that God will do to us is in proportion to our obedience to his commands. Mm. In other words, the more we obey him, the more obedient we are, the more of his plans and purposes he will open up to us. He will disclose, he will manifest. That's a key word. He will show himself. He'll, he'll open himself up. But it's, it's conditional. Whoever has my commandments, so you gotta know the Bible. Gotta have them, you gotta read the Bible. And obeys them. Reading the Bible's not enough. Mm -hmm. Theology's not enough. You need to lead an obedient life. If you have the commands and you obey him, then ultimately, if you go to the end of the verse, the Father and the Son will disclose themselves to you. They will reveal the, uh, his, uh, their purposes. It's similar to John 15, 15, when he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends because everything I've heard from the Father, I've disclosed or made known to you. Hmm. So here's, here's an idea. Uh, George Mueller, the great um, pastor in the 19th century who cared for 10,000 orphans in his life was a great man of faith. He had an intimacy with God in prayer where he just seemed to know what God was doing. Mm -hmm. And one of the clearest examples of this is, is this George Mueller fog story where he is trying to make his way across the Northern Atlantic to come to Canada and eventually to meet the President of the United States in America. Mm -hmm. He's a very famous man and a fog shuts down the Sardinians' travel. That's the name of the ship. So this is decades before the Titanic, but the captain, unlike the Titanic, didn't keep plowing ahead into, uh, into a field of ice, icebergs, mm -hmm. but he sh shut the engines down. Well, George Mueller goes and says, I've gotta be in Quebec by next Tuesday. And the captain said, that's quite impossible. The fog is so thick. Like, that my eye's not on the fog, but on God who holds every day of my life in his hands. I've never broken an appointment and I'm not breaking this one. Let's go down in the chart room and pray. Well, the guy knows who George Mueller is. He thinks he's out of his mind. What did, they go down in this windowless chart room mm. and George Mueller prays a simple prayer. Father, if you would please remove the fog so we can get underway. The captain begins his prayer time. Mueller stops him and says, stop. First of all, you don't believe that God will move the fog. Second of all, I believe that God has already moved the fog. So you, there's no need for you to pray. You may go <laughs> oh up and look, goodness. the fog 
has moved. Well, they've not left a windowless chart room. How does he know it? The father disclosed it to him. Mueller didn't move the fog. Mm -hmm. Mueller's prayer didn't move the fog. God moved the fog, but he used Mueller and his prayer. How do you get in with God like that? Well, lived George Mueller's life. Mm. Live for others every day of your life. Live for orphans. Sacrifice yourself. Pray. Deny yourself. Read the Bible. Live a holy life. He'll start showing you things that you didn't see before. He'll let you in on his plans. Wow. What an incredible promise if we will follow him and yeah. obey his commands. Conversely, if you don't have his commandments or if you have them and don't obey them, you'll be kind of left out in the portico. You'll be left out in the dark. You really won't be knowing what God's doing. And so you'll lead a less fruitful life. You'll lead a less rewarded life and you'll go to heaven, but you'll have less rewards. So John 14, 21 may be one of the key verses of how you live your life. In verse 22, Judas asks a question of the Lord. Why did Jesus not openly show himself to the world after his resurrection? Well, <laughs> you know, you hear this, uh, and Josh McDowell dealt with this in Evidence That Demands a Verdict. You know, it's like he should have gone and showed himself to the, to the skeptics, mm -hmm. not to the believers. Well, John MacArthur answered that, and Josh McDowell as well. Well, the, the disciples and apostles were, were skeptics too. They, they all were like, no, 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 Thomas is a key mm -hmm. example. So we should not think they were ready to believe the resurrection. But here's the thing the hearts of his enemies still hated him. So what's gonna happen if he shows himself in downtown Jerusalem with, and says, look at my hands and my feet, they're not gonna fall and worship him. They're gonna try to kill him again. And at that point, he's not gonna die again. He can't die again. He's gonna just have to kill them. Yeah. So just out of really out of mercy to them and to all of the elect who have not yet repented, including those who haven't been born, you and me, Wes, he did not go back into downtown Jerusalem. He just went to his disciples and got them ready to do the Great Commission. <laughs> so wow. He did not show himself physically to the world. And also one, another important thing, we are justified by faith in an invisible Jesus. Mm -hmm. You have to believe in the resurrection without putting your fingers in the, in, the, in the wounds. As Jesus said in John 20, blessed are they who have not seen and yet have believed. So what does it mean then that the Father and Jesus will make their home with someone? All right, well, I think it's very similar to 1421 where he says manifest. And, and he's he basically Judas is to some degree, and that's not a scary, that's a different Judas, but he's asking the same question you asked is what does he mean that you'll manifest? And now what does it mean here that you will make your home? I think, again, it has to do with intimacy. In this case, it's just relationship. It, it, it reminds me very much of Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This is the same teaching. Mm -hmm. it's, it's eat with him and he with me. First of all, it's redundant in Revelation 3.20. It's like, well, I get it. If I'm eating with you, you're <laughs> going to eat with me. Yeah. But he, he doubles down on it because he says, I'm talking about closeness. Mm -hmm. We're going to share meals together, you and I. We're going to be together. So that's what I mean. It's a sense of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit having a love relationship with us in close fellowship and intimacy, like sharing a meal. That's what it's going to be like. We're going to make our home with you, and you're going to have intimate access with us. We're going to live with you forever. So we've talked about this link between love for God and obedience to His Word. What does that link teach us about people who are cultural Christians? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there, that's a category of people who hear God's word but don't obey it. Hmm. Or they deceive themselves or delude themselves that they are, are actually obeying it when they're not. Uh, 
And so that is a serious warning against uh, people that hear God's word and don't put it into practice. He says, whoever does not love me will not obey my teaching. You know, fundamentally, we need to understand the words that Jesus spoke belong to God. God gave them to Jesus. Jesus really, therefore, is a prophet, but he's the quintessential final prophet. Mm. Like Hebrews 1 said, yeah. that in the past God spoke to the prophets at many times, but now in, the, in this, these last days, he's spoken to us finally through the Son. If we hear the Son's words and put them into practice and obey them, uh, then we have an intimate relationship with God. Nominal Christians don't do that. Right on the heels of that warning, why did Jesus stress that his words came from the Father? Well, I think we need to understand who Jesus is. He is the radiance of the invisible God. He is the, the image of the invisible God. He is a radiance of God's glory. To see him is to see the Father, even though he is not the Father. So fundamentally though, the most important thing that Jesus did is speak the words of God or deputize the apostles to speak them by which we will be saved. It is, it is, faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. Mm. And so as we hear the words of his death, the words of his resurrection, now I would say his most important thing, he also had to actually die and rise again. But we connect to that by words. And so these words have come to us ultimately from the Father. And keep in mind, both the third person and the second person in the Trinity are both ministering to bring us to the Father. So ultimately, salvation is being brought to the Father, as we saw last time. Mm -hmm. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So basically, Jesus says, the words I am speaking to you are the Father's words. Well, thanks so much, Andy. Again, this has been part one of episode 30, where we've been discussing the first part of John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. We'd invite you to join us again next time for part two of episode 30, where we'll complete our discussion of these verses. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification, and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.